With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL executive of the year, Randy Muir. Welcome to the Football GM Podcast, heading into week five of this 2020 NFL season, where today on the show, we're going to discuss Bill O'Brien's firing, the big news of the week, what happens when you trade good players, not just you, Bill O'Brien, not just the Houston Texans, how the Colts and Browns differ from the Cowboys, a couple of those teams are going to be playing each other this week, the Monday night victories for Kansas City and Green Bay, our picks against the spread, and of course, the Ask the GM segment at the end. Mike Sando here, senior writer of The Athletic at Sando NFL, joined by former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Mueller at Randy Mueller underscore. And Randy, we named this the Football GM Podcast. We did not name it the Football Head Coach and GM Podcast, and that's probably good. We probably would have been canceled by now if we tried to go for the whole thing. Yeah, no kidding. That's. Uh, I guess it's be careful what you wish for. Uh, I feel for Bill O'Brien, but he kind of made himself a target by giving himself all these titles. You know, sometimes all the titles and, and bells and whistles you get with job responsibilities really leave no doubt who is uh, who's the fall guy. And I think that's what happened in Houston. Absolutely, the key to a long career in this in this business is to have enough layers between you and the fire, so you stay warm but don't get burned. <laughs> There's some yeah. guys in these front offices who last forever. Right. As the head coach, you're not. And, um, you know, I was just looking. The, the 2014 hiring class, uh, Bill O'Brien made it 100 games. So he, he's actually a success story from that class. I think he won four division titles. Mike Zimmer's the last guy left. Wow. Um, we had Mike Zimmer, Jim Caldwell, Bill O'Brien. Those were the only guys that had winning records from that group that included Jay Gruden, Mike Pettin, Lovey Smith, Ken Wisenant. Uh, love those guys are long gone from their jobs. So as much as we pile on to make it a hundred games for anybody, um, is a success in some way. Um, in the end, were you surprised that he got fired you know, after 0 and 4? Yeah, I, I guess I'm surprised by the timing of it. I'm not surprised, uh, by the action itself. I could just see this boat drifting out to sea and it started really a year or so ago when, when he was instrumental in, in, really the release of Brian Ganey, their former GM. They they had an ill-fated attempt to hire a guy out of New England. That didn't happen, you know, and then he kind of, obviously not kind of, but he named himself the GM and, and it just went downhill from there. People also forget they fired a longtime cap guy, another front office guy, Chris Olson, who had been there for a long time. Um, so they made some moves to kind of clear the decks for, for Coach O'Brien and and the other uh, executive that he brought from New England, Jack Easterbay. And so I think it's, uh, you know, when you start to make those kind of decisions, in other words, I'm smarter than all of us, you know, and, and there's no consensus building, there's no pushback from anybody else. You know, to me, that's a philosophy that's aired. I mean, obviously, it's worked for Bill Belichick, maybe in in New England. But when you go back and look at other teams that have tried to do this, it really hasn't worked. Um, I think two heads are better than one. And in this case, when he took on the offensive play calling, it actually got the four heads that he was wearing. Uh, I wasn't surprised. It's it's a tough it's a tough job as a head coach alone much less when, when you also take on these other titles. And I only compare it to when I was a GM, if the owner had come to me and said, hey, you want to coach the team as well? I would have laughed. I mean, there's yeah. no way, right? I mean, Yeah, yeah. You need a real GM. Even if you have the head coach GM title, you need an actual GM who, who does it, right? Who actually yeah, does I mean, the personnel work. <laughs> I, it's, it's such a different mindset, Mike, and it's such a different set of dynamics that you go to work with and wake up with every day that I just don't know how it can happen. And and some of the moves that Houston made are reflection are a reflection, in my opinion, of him kind of taking the GM role as a sideline job. You know, it's kind of a side job. And and it, it 
it's a full-time mentality of, of every decision you make. And I just don't know how a coach could have time for that kind oh, of, yeah. you know, uh, burden really. And, and I think a great example of that, you know, the, the role of the GM is to be, have the pulse of the entire league, um, not just this year, but the, f- the future, right. To really know what's going on and to sort of know the whispers and, you know, a lot of the innuendo and, you know, all the backstories and, and as the head coach, you're really dialed into, uh, what, uh, sub package are they going to play this week that we have to be prepared for. The Earl Thomas situation, I think, is yeah. really illustri- illustrative. Illustrative, yeah. it, you know, really illustrates. I'm going to stick to the simple words, but really does illustrate um, the vulnerability a head coach can have as the GM. Remember, Earl Thomas was kind of rumored to be in the mix for Houston, um, and then all of a sudden it blew up. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of the last straw, in my opinion. It was a um, a deal where if you're in personnel 24-7, 365, you've tracked everything that's happened with Earl Thomas, right? From the Seattle days of barely being a Hall of Fame talent to to the stop with the Ravens, to the fights here, fights there. Yep. All, all the things that have come up with him, I, pro- I, I think maybe slipped under the radar a little bit for Bill. When they brought him in last week, it was rumored that he was going to sign uh, uh, with them their players really uh, had the backstory all on Earl, Earl Thomas. You know, they played each other week two. So they played the Ravens, I should say. And so a lot of stories were told pregame. A lot of things happened ahead of that game that, that I've read and heard about. So they all knew the things that, that had bogged down Earl Thomas, the not showing up on time, the not being prepared, the, you know, picking fights with teammates, blah, blah, blah. And, and those players went to Bill O'Brien last week and just said, we can't have this, Bill. We don't want this. And I think it, it, it etched into the credibility of Bill in the locker room. I think it's one thing for the press and, and everybody else to, to uh, complain and to criticize uh, Bill O'Brien. But when the players lose credibility that, in what he's doing, that, that makes it a struggle. And to me, that was the last straw in this thing. And, and uh, they, they called off the jam, so to speak. They didn't sign Earl Thomas, but the players had been through all the Hopkins trade, the Tunzel trade, the Clowney trade, all the other things. And so they were already on the track of what are we doing? And this just was was the final straw. Absolutely. Yeah. As I zoom out, just maybe a final point here on on uh, where the Texans are at, because obviously Bill O'Brien bears responsibility for, for the bad trades, and we'll talk about some of those. But this is, has been before a stable organization. I mean, if you go back to when Gary Kubiak was there, Rick Smith was longtime GM. And if just just to zoom out and look at this timeline, I think it really helps. So the end of the 2017 season, Rick Smith takes a leave of absence. You know, his uh, wife was ill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the start of 18, they hired Brian Gain as the, as the GM. They brought him in. Um, then Bob McNair dies later that year in 2018. Well, that's a big deal. Yeah. You know, the, your owner of your team dies. So that's 2018. By 2019, in April, Jack Easterby comes in, executive vice president, team development. And that's not somebody, Randy, we were just talking off the air and, uh, you know, mentioned a personnel person uh, who had been in the league years ago. And you had three stories about him right away. Hmm. Jack Easterby, is he a guy who's been at the you know, been at all yeah. the pro days all the years. Is that somebody you've seen? And never I heard, and I know never him. heard of him. Yeah, never heard yeah, of him. Never no heard idea. Of him. He might be the best at ever what he does, but yeah. no, no reputation, no track record, no experience at all. Right, right. And so that happens in April of nineteen, and June then Brian Gaines fired. So Brian right. Gaines makes it, you know, uh, a year and a half. All right. So now we're into. The summer of 2019, and now the big Laramie Tunsil trade, and that's where people go, "Whoa, yeah. you know, what, do you, what are we doing? Is this fundamentally sound? What we're giving up?" Okay, that's August of 2019. January of 2020, O'Brien is named the GM, and Easterby executive vice president of football operations. So now Easterby has come up to be uh, basically with O'Brien. Right. Well, a couple months later, DeAndre Hopkins is traded. No one thought that made sense for what they were doing, right. especially um, for what they got back. What they got back. And of course, they've re-signed Watson, which I think, you know, we knew they were going to do. But then here we are, O'Brien's fired and Easterby is the only guy left. Yeah, That's a lot of upheaval in about a two and a half year period that really calls into question where this organization is even at with or without Bill O'Brien. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. it, it it's it's a rapid ascension by front office executive as well that uh, for somebody not on the personnel side, somebody that is not a, really a football guy, is it, it kind of makes you shake your head, that's for sure. So who knows where they go from here? I'll be honest with you. I think the franchise here, – here's the bad news. We haven't even got to this, Mike. They're going to end up drafting at the top because of their record this year. They yeah. don't even have a first-round pick. They don't even have a second-round pick. They've traded those away to Miami already. So they will have lost a bunch of games. And, and in most cases, you have something to show for it. We can draft. They don't even. They can't even draft the, up at the top of the rounds like they should have. So I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I, I know this. Whoever walks into that job, whether it's a head coach or a GM, it's it's not an on-the-job training job. They better find some some uh, somebody with some skins on the wall and a specific plan. And you're right. There, there's... Dust hasn't settled yet in that front office as to who's in charge of what, and that has to be sorted out before they bring anybody new into it. Yep. Now people will complain about oh the, the you know the caps compromised and the they don't have picks, but to me those things can work themselves out, right? I mean over time those things you'll get picks again and all that type of stuff. Fundamentally, what has to happen if I'm going in there if I if I were a GM candidate, um, I want to go in there and know what the structure is, and I you know wouldn't want to have to go in and work alongside Jack Easterby or that sort of thing. Um, I would want to go in there knowing, hey, we're going to put in our own culture, our own identity. We're going to have our own coach. And then I think it can still be a good job because uh, good sports town, they've won there. Uh, you've got a good quarterback, right? Uh, you, you can do a lot worse than that. It could still be a place that is appealing. Right now, as it's presently configured, not so much. Yeah, no, it's a struggle. I just spent six months there with the Roughnecks in the XFL. So you're right, Mike. It is a great football town. I mean, let's face it, Texas football is is unmatched. But I think you're right. I think for this to be a good job, and it should be one of the best jobs, um, they're going to have to clear the decks completely, and someone's going to have to come in with a fresh face, a fresh start, and kind of have a plan together in place. And and uh, we'll see. I think... Uh, Cal McNair, the son of Bob McNair, is now in charge. His style's a little different, obviously, but I had heard that he was more off, hands off than 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 uh, than Bob McNair was. So you know, we'll see. I think uh, the, the last chapter got to be written here still, and and who knows? There's still 12 weeks left to this season. Maybe Romeo Cornell can, can rally the troops here a little bit and and find a way to get some positivity. But there's been a lot of negativity out of this franchise now, like you just listed for the last couple of years. Well, yeah, their first three games they were underdog. I mean, do you, do we think they're going to beat Kansas yeah. City, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh when That's Pittsburgh's right. on the road? I don't think so. They lost one game that I thought they should have won, and that was to to Minnesota. And, you know, on the tombstone of this era of Texans football is going to be the DeAndre Hopkins trade. I think it's a nice transition for us into just the idea of trading away good players, right? And we see a, we see a lot of trades. Sometimes you get to a point with a player and, and he's old and on the downside and you just want to move him or, uh, you know, maybe you have a new guy coming in, new coach, and the guy wants a deal. And so you see something happen. But getting rid of good players usually not a good idea. I mean, that sounds really simple. I mean, I think anybody would say, well, no no kidding, but it still happens a lot, and we've seen it with teams this year. DeAndre Hopkins moved. Jamal Adams moved. DeForest Buckner moved. Stephon Diggs moved. What do you make of these, and what's your sort of philosophy? Yeah, I think there's obviously a pattern there. That's a lot of big-name guys to move. And when when we say move, these guys were willingly traded by their own team. So it's not like they left in free agency and and left a hole or left the the, the team in, in a lurch. Um, I guess my philosophy, Mike, is I really struggle getting rid of good players. I mean, I have a lot of respect for coaches. I know their schemes can do X amount of things with, with different rosters. But at the same time, it's a player's league, and you better have as many good players as you can. I, I just look, go back and look at those four names that you mentioned. What if those teams would have found a way to keep them and then added two? You know, I just think yeah. you, you stand a, a lot better chance to have blue chip players and to win games if you have blue chip players. And I think in this case, all four of these guys do. And I don't think it's a, a secret that the four teams that these players exited from are all on the struggle bus right now. And the teams that got them are all, you know, ascending so far in the league. So I think there's a common denominator there. I just think good players, you need to find a way to keep. And you can make a case for for these teams that got rid of these players taking a big step back. That's the other thing. In in this league, you can pretty much book change on rosters to 
to cover anywhere from 30 to 40% every year. So you're already going to have a period of adjustment just in, in middle of the road players, in, in, in lower level core players. That's going to force your roster to adjust and your schemes to have to evolve. In this case, you're really asking for change and needing some time for these changes to take effect. Sometimes when you change out players, you take a step back initially just because for change sake. In other cases, if you have some some rosters uh, and some leadership built in, which I do think the four acquiring teams in these four guys' uh, cases, I think they had they already had some good things going for them. It's easier for those new guys to fit in. So different philosophy. I think everybody kind of does it their way. But at the end of the day, I guess my personnel roots don't go away in that I think it's a player's league and, and I just don't like to get rid of good players. Let's find a way to keep them and then add more to it as we build our roster and, and try to set it up long term. Yep, and I'll have to give you know give Minnesota some credit for drafting with the pick they got from Buffalo, um, a, a good young receiver, um, yes, who's got numbers you know that are close, but close think, to Stephon Diggs. Yeah, go ahead. Think yeah. about this, Mike. What and I agree with you, but what if they had Stephon Diggs as well? So yeah, found a yeah. way to to maneuver that to add to what they already had. They'd be pretty much set. They'd have some explosion. They already have the leading rusher in the league in Davin Cook, right? So yep. you can make yep. a case for these to go either way. But I just you know, it's hard to replace really good players. And I don't think schemes do it. I don't think philosophies do it. I think players are players and I want to have as many good ones as I can. Yep. And sometimes the coach can talk himself into, we can scheme around this guy or we've got our guy on the offensive side and it's just, let's get rid of this guy. He's a headache. But well, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I watched the Jets play the Broncos and Jamal Adams would have been, you know, the best player the Jets have, you know. Um, Probably would have been the best player on the team on either team, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, obviously missed. DeForest Buckner looking pretty good um, here for the Colts, who are ranking. It's really high on defense. It's only four games, but I have confidence in the Colts. I think they're going to be a good team. So, uh, which actually takes us into, a, you know, I think a a topic we wanted to talk about because it was so striking watching some of these teams in Week Four. Um, and the Colts and Browns actually are two of them. They, they, they're going to play each other this week. It's really one of my favorite games of the week. But I'm just struck with these teams by how, uh, purposeful they are. There's such a clear identity in who they want to be. And we, and I think with the Colts, you know, they've had their leadership there a while. So they just had to kind of overcome the luck situation. Um, but the Browns have been a freaking mess, you know, I mean, and I still worry about their ownership and all, but they look pretty good so far. Look pretty good putting up forty plus points on, on the Cowboys. I was thinking of this yesterday. Would you rather be the Browns or the Cowboys? It's just sort of a, a device I use for some of these situations. Yeah, it's crazy. I think in this case, and we've kind of had this inclination on the Browns. At least you and I, we've talked about them a little bit before. Um, they were quick to identify their own identity and what we are. You know, when they added Jack Conklin in the offseason, you kind of went down the path of, okay, we're going to be a run-oriented team, a play-action pass team on offense, and we're going to do some things that 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 we, we're going to do less, but we're going to do it really good. And that's what they've done. I mean, you mentioned last week's game, the 307 yards rushing against the Cowboys. I don't think people understand how hard it is to rush for – 150 yards in the NFL, but they doubled that. They rushed for 307 yards against the Cowboys. I mean, that's hard to do against neighbor kids out in the backyard, you know. I mean, but, I know we're in the Big 12 now in yeah, the NFL, I mean, but uh, I mean, Mike Leach is going to be coaching here in about another <laughs> two weeks if this keeps up, but still, no that is that's unbelievable. I yeah. mean, I, I don't almost don't remember that. And that's not a one-off. Look at their their four games leading up to it. I mean, they opened with Baltimore. They ran 27 times for 138 yards. Week two, they ran 35 times for 215 against Cincy. Week three, they ran 37 times for 158. So every week, they just keep pounding the ball even more. And guess what? We're not hearing about the inadequacies of Baker Mayfield because of it. You know, Chubb is, is, is off the charts, doing well. Now he's hurt. But they ran against Dallas last week in the second half without Chubb. So they just kept running other running backs in there. So they definitely have a system. And I think Baker Mayfield will be the biggest beneficiary of all this because let's face it, he's not a drop back, hang in the pocket, um, read and process and, 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 and go to my second and third options downfield. That's just not him. He's going to have the play action reads, the identify your receiver 
almost when you leave the huddle. That kind of system has to be in place for him. And that's what Kevin Stefanski's done here. He's given Baker Mayfield a chance to kind of progress. And, and maybe in the end, he does get better as a passer from the quarterback. But you know, I mean, as, as a passer from the pocket, but this has been a, a, a maligned, organization without a plan forever you mentioned the ownership we'll see if they can get through that and overcome that let's let's they've had some adversity for the last many years now let's see if they can stand prosperity and actually adhere to the plan that they've produced already it'll be fun to watch the browns going forward yep and so you talked about that marriage and fit where you you have something for baker mayfield that could work right and we can all see when he's in the pocket i want to get him a stool out that out there so he can see up (laughs) over it i mean but 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 there's a way there's devices within that system that it can still be okay and i i think they've been in oil and vinegar um coaching and front office mix for so long you know you couldn't have less of a fit than a John Dorsey who's about as old school of a personnel yeah. gruff, you know, <laughs> guy uh, with the Paul de Podesta. Yeah, the team of analytics, analytics experts. Yeah, yeah, analytic guy. But what I really sort of like, and I mean, this is a risk. It's always a risk to say you like what's going on in Cleveland because you could just bet on it not working. But I think they've given themselves a better chance because while Kevin Stefanski is unquestionably a football guy, he played college football. He's been in the league for close to 15 years. Uh, he's been around some really good people. He's been in Minnesota through multiple regimes, so he's kind of seen how it works with different types of coaches from offense to defense. But I think he he can have a foot in both of those worlds. He's an Ivy League guy too. I think he's not out of pl- he's not out of place talking to uh, De Podesta. You know what no, I mean? He's right. not out of place, and 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 Barry, their GM, uh, sort of can be in both those worlds too. You yeah, know? I think it's a good mix of personality and intellect. Like you said, no doubt. I think the one hire that that should be talked about a little bit and, and doesn't is starting to get a little bit of traction now is Bill Callahan as their O line coach. You're talking about a seasoned veteran O line coach that's proven has skins on the wall, and the way he's got that group to come together up front. Um, that's really been the key for what they're doing. I mentioned Conklin. You know, they spent a first-round pick on Willis, a, a left tackle. They have an older seasoned veteran at center in J.C. Treader. You know, and Batonio is a guy who had been there in the past. So these guys still had to come together. And Bill Callahan's got them believing. And uh, the motivation they have now to be a one of the top groups in the league is is equaled by the talent level. And so this is a good group of guys to watch going forward, that offensive line led by Bill Callahan. That's a, such a big thing. You know, we, we're both kind of friends with uh, Howard Mudd. Rest in peace, Howard. Mm-hmm. He, he passed away in a, after a motorcycle crash recently. But he was one of the elite offensive line coaches in the league. And I, we used to always talk. I'd talk every offseason because I'm one of the Hall of Fame voters. So whenever there was an offensive line, I'd be, hey, Howard, you know, okay, what did you think of uh, Alan Fanica? And he'd give me his whole report and right. it'd be some backstory. But um, he used to always say, you know, there's only about 10 or 12 really good, legitimate O-line coaches in the league yeah. at a given time. Yeah, you know? I totally agree. I think the underestimated part of the, that job is the communication factor with all kinds of people from all walks of life. You know, you've got offensive linemen that we all think we have a specific pattern of where these guys come from. Really, they come from all walks and they've got to spend all of their time working together. It's not like a receiver that's out running routes. You're talking about a quarterback that can throw and do this and that to to other skill position guys. These guys need all five guys together to to work out timing, pad level, uh, get to know each other from a communicative standpoint without ever saying a word once they're at the line of scrimmage. So that group has to come together and play as a group unlike any other group in football. So it's a tight-knit room, and it is hard uh, to get them all on the same page. So a veteran offensive line coach, or a good one, I should say, they're hard to come by, and I would agree with your assessment yeah. and Howard's that there are not that many of them. And when you're on a team and don't have one, you know it. It's a thing you talk about in the building, and it's yeah. not talked about as much outside. I mean, I think people don't really know who the good or bad assistant coaches are a lot of time. You might, you've heard of Bill Callahan, or you know yeah. uh, about this guy or that guy, but when you don't have one, 
um, it's always constantly a problem. Your yeah. line's a problem, and you're talking about it internally. You know? One thing I always go back to, and this is, kind of dates me a little bit, but you remember Mike McCormick, who was our GM in Seattle for years, Hall yeah. of Fame offensive tackle himself. And I remember him telling me back in the day one time, we were talking about offensive line and offensive line play. And I asked him, I said, what do you, what do you really look for in that coach? And I remember him saying, you know, he said, sometimes when I watch games on TV, he said, I love it when they go to the sidelines with the camera, because he said, I can see the offensive line coach and what he's doing. And he said, I've had occasion to not hire specific offensive line coaches because he said it looked, they had that look in their eye that they couldn't bring it all together for that group on the sidelines. In other words, they couldn't make the adjustments from, from series to series, from quarter to quarter. And he said, that's hard to find out when you don't know these guys. But he said, I watch them communicate with their players. And that, that's a good trait to have. And it's one that I've always taken uh, into consideration when talking about offensive line play and coaches. Okay, it's interesting now because I want to talk about the Colts too, and they've built their team on their offensive line. You yeah. know, I think the, the you you can see that there's been a clear plan there. Uh, there's a clear plan in how they played the game this last week against Chicago. And by the way, Colts are playing obviously the Browns this week. That's one of the reasons we want to talk about these teams. But uh, I always track every week sort of the run pass ratios of the teams on early downs, early in the game. Just what, what how are you trying to play? And even though the uh, maybe because they have Philip Rivers now in in Indy, they are running the ball a lot right. early, uh, and so we're going to have two teams with distinct identities that sort of want to be uh, a little bit the same. I, I thought that Indy was going to going to sort of become the Frank Reich Buffalo Bills K Gun type team, but that's not what they're doing. And uh, but yet they have a clear plan through their offensive line as well, and I think we can see what they want to be. And I. I think they're a sneaky team. I think Colts are a sneaky team that's going to be there. As long as Rivers doesn't fall off the cliff, right. they could be a team that's there in the end, can't they? I actually think they're a team that still haven't, has not reached their potential at all. And that become, and like you say, in the running game specifically, you know, they picked a, a kid from Wisconsin, Jonathan Taylor, who has become through injury now their main go-to back. And I watched some tape on him the last couple of weeks. He's a really good player. He was good at Wisconsin as well. But I still see a guy who's leaving a lot of yards on the field. So this guy, even though he's been productive and his numbers are good, I think they're going to get a lot better because he's a natural runner. The pace of play, the pace of the game is the thing that these rookies struggle with. And I think in his case, he's gotten better these first four weeks. But still, I was excited to see the upside because there were some holes that he kind of just missed. The timing wasn't right. And they were still running for big yards. So, yes, I think you're right. I think this is a team on the come. I think it's a team with identity. And, of course, I, I love Philip, having spent 10 years with him in San Diego together. I could tell Philip's, Philip River stories forever. And uh, he's an easy guy to root for, that's for sure. But I think you're right. They have a plan from the front office to Frank Wright, which has now been solidified by Philip Rivers, because those two both were together with us in San Diego, so they know each other. The period of adjustment has been short for those two in the offensive schemes. I think it's a good setup. And, and defensively, now the Colts are, are really the, the team to beat. I mean, they're the, they're the cat's meow of stopping the run. I think I saw the other day where they're first in like five or six different categories on defense. So it's going to be a, the Browns and Colts game, like you mentioned. I'm going to definitely bet the under on time because the running games, I think this is a two-hour, 20-minute game <laughs> with both teams running the ball. But uh, And I say that tongue-in-cheek. But, but yeah, uh, really a, a well-rounded Colts roster, that's for sure. What is your what what river stories do you got? I mean, I was kind of fun <laughs> watching him the other day, you know, and it was hilarious when oh. he uh, he called out, uh, you know, he was he's about he's going to call a timeout, but he's trying to get the Bears to jump off sides. You guys probably saw this where uh, he he called out. Uh, he called out uh, 58, wasn't it? Yeah, Rokon Smith. Yeah, the middle yeah, linebacker for the Bears. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he yeah. goes, he's doing, going through his, you know, hut, hut. And yeah, mid-cadence, hey. he's having a conversation with this guy. Yeah, and he goes, uh, he goes, hey, man, 2-8 turned a corner on you. Two, <laughs> yeah. And then you can yeah. see Rokon Smith's like, hey, what, what are you talking about? He goes, no, he turned a corner on you. And then Kept he reaches, then he, then he looks over to the ref and calls timeout. So he's having about three things going on in his mind all at once, and he keeps them all straight. Yeah, you're right. It was a, it had me laughing. You know, I love the I love that thing about um, sort of the the quarterback who's seen it all. Like you see Rogers last you know this week too in the Monday night game too. He's 
he's got 50 things going on the side, yeah. conversations. He's telling LaFleur to bring in the play a little sooner so he can milk the <laughs> yeah. clock. I mean, there's just, they're, they're in charge of everything yes. um, that's they're, going on out there. So I did this story for ESPN a couple of years ago, and it was just, it was off of one of these Rivers type things where he's just so engaged uh, with the, the players on the other team, the coaches on the other team. And so, uh, it was Matt Burke was the D coordinator for the uh, Dolphins. And so they're playing Phillip Rivers and they have a guy on their team. And it was Jelani Jenkins who uh, had played with Rivers. So he knew the cadence. He knew so what some of these code words were. So here comes Rivers up to the line of scrimmage and he's got his call. And it's, 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 it's a Mickey call. Okay. And, and a Mickey call meant that uh, it was going to probably be a screen. So, uh, so Rivers up to the line, you know, Mickey, Mickey, you know, and he goes through his whole thing. And the Dolphins are onto this, and they pick six interception of Rivers in a key moment of the game, right? So, uh, you know, big shock, Rivers throws an interception, but he he isn't going to be fooled twice. So they actually play uh, the next season. I mean, all this time goes by, and Rivers has the back of it in his, his mind. He's going to he's going to change up what this Mickey call means. So they get to another critical point in the game, and here it is, you know. Mickey, Mickey, and everyone's alerting to the screen on defense, and it really means something else. They hit Travis Benjamin for a touchdown, and Rivers goes just running up the sideline past Matt Burke, their coordinator, doing one of his flybys. That's what got, that's what the coordinators on the other team call it, the Rivers flyby. Coming down, I got you, you know, uh, he doesn't swear, so he's not, you know, MFing people, but he is, he is fully reveling in the intricacies of the game. I got you. I outsmarted you. Um, it's just one of the fun things about him, about just veteran quarterbacks in general. Um, he adds that to um, the Colts, and I think is a lot of fun to watch. Certainly, we saw that against the Bears last week. No doubt, he's he, that that little clip that we saw with the Bears last week. I was lucky enough to witness for ten years in San Diego of all of his antics and. I mean, let's just face it. He, he's a brilliant guy. These quarterbacks, that, and you mentioned Aaron Rodgers, these guys are brilliant, right? They, they have to process so much information and multitask so much that it's incredible. The normal fan wouldn't have any idea of all the stuff they have to do. But these guys see it at totally different level and speed than we do. And he's having a conversation with a, uh, an opposing middle linebacker at the same try time trying to get them to jump off sides. And oh, by the way, he's got to call timeout halfway through this. This stuff happens daily. I remember a time when he, he used to scrap with uh, Sean Merriman, our linebacker in San Diego, all the time during practice. River's an all-time great trash talker. And like you say, he oh, yeah. does it with with uh, respect, which kind of makes it even funnier because he's not using foul language. He's not doing anything that, you know, yeah. your mom of this or your mom of that. He's, he's actually grammatically correct in his trash talking. <laughs> and one time Sean Merriman got loose on a play and, and actually would have got a sack in practice. And, and, and Philip just came right back after him, you know, with the idea of, Hey, you haven't done anything for six weeks. I am so happy to see that. You know, he was killing them with kindness at the same time he was killing Sean Merriman, you know, with, yeah, yeah, with, yeah. His, with his quick tongue and his biting comment. Nice to see you. I didn't yeah, know you were on the team. I mean, you know, what, hey. what happened to you? I thought you were inactive, you know, so <laughs> stuff like that. He just killed them with it. And he, he it's unique. He's awesome with that stuff he he, the other players love it he's a great leader because of it and everybody uh is in the philip rivers camp he's just one of those guys that you want to line up and get behind so the colts wanted some of that frank reich knew of that as well he was with us in san diego so so these guys knew each other and it made it a great fit Uh, i I, I think i think it's gonna progress to be something really positive in in indian and to make a long story short we're seeing that already with the colts Yep. So we got Colts, Browns. We like it. Two teams. We know what they're doing. Uh, we still don't fully trust, uh, the Browns organization, but we're yeah. encouraged. We want to right. see more. That's a good game, um, to watch. Now, another team that we were on to, we sniffed these guys out before the season, the Dallas Cowboys. And we, I think our, one of our first podcasts this year was talking about how overrated they were. Mm-hmm. Um, you sort of from a personnel standpoint too. And I think I was pointing out also, and you, and we both were the, just the structural setup of this organization. And here they are, uh, averaging about 10,000 yards per game with nothing to show for it. Um, not, not an impressive operation, not cohesive, not a team where you can see the vision um, exactly playing out how they want to. They, they're a mess. What do you see with Dallas? Um, and 
Would you, if you were the GM of the team, is there any consolation in the fact that they're racking up all these yards? Absolutely no consolation at all. For one thing, the yardage means, means zero. Um, I, I, I have a couple different feelings on them. And you're right. I think we kind of surmised this as, as preseason was going on and, and, and that Jerry Jones is going to do things different than everybody else. The biggest things I take away after the first four weeks are Mike McCarthy's role is just what we thought it was. He's, he's kind of that of a mall cop, you know, I mean, he really (laughs) doesn't have anything to say about anything. He can go around and, you know, uh, make sure everybody's okay at the end of the mall, but can he really arrest anybody? No, you know, and it's a shame because this is a highly qualified offensive mind who's been really one of the better coaches on offense for the last 15 years in the NFL, kind of been neutered. So you, you have to play complementary football. So your offense does have to exist in certain ways to make your defense better. So for one thing, that the, the amount of passing that they've done, and, and I think Dak has, has stood out as a quarterback. He's done nothing but pad his stats, and, and I, I, I commend him for what he's done. But it hasn't been real comp- complementary football to the defense. Uh, so Mike's kind of been out of the loop on offense, or so it seems. I'm sure he's involved in the game plans, but you don't see him on Sundays making a difference, that's for sure. And then the defense altogether, the defense, the roster composition on defense doesn't fit ex- anything what they want to do. They've just been gashed for points, for running yards, uh, and they have uh, filled the roster with a bunch of pass rushers, you know. So it looks to me like they're really complicated in the back end on defense. They've made multiple busts and mental errors that are obvious when you watch the tape. So the the players aren't getting uh, what the coaches are teaching. So there's a disconnect there. But anytime you give up 500 yards in a, in a game, you, you struggle, but they've done it three weeks in a row. And yeah, they've had some injuries. You know, Sean Lee's kind of their glue. He's been out. Leighton Vanderish has been out. But you see guys uh, now that the effort isn't there. That bothers me jogging in in pursuit that bothers me and they've just been pushed around really and even on offense uh, their 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 offensive passing yards are up but their front group on the offensive line has been pushed around really uh, we talk about the Dallas Cowboys offensive line being one of the greatest in the league this was being said the last 3 or 4 years not anymore boys this that's not even close this is a shell of what they used to be so i just don't think that that this team is as talented as everybody said it was the last couple of years and and i don't know how you can argue with the results i'm with you 100% i mean i when i call up their roster I think people give them way too much to benefit for the doubt. The offensive line isn't close to what it used to be. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's not even close. And now you're going to have Dak Prescott's you know $31 million salary this year. The cap's going to go down next year, which hurts everybody. But they're going to be leveraged if they want to keep Dak Prescott that it's going to cost even more. He's, he's in the driver's seat on that one. I just don't see how uh, – I don't see what the plan is from a coaching standpoint, I don't see what how they're going to get better from a personnel standpoint. I don't see any of that. Um, now that said, they're probably going to win the division because it's so crappy, and they may win. They may be eight and eight or something, and they may go to a playoff game. And they may have a lot of yards. They they may at the end of the year, Ke- Kellen Moore may have a top ten offense by the year stats. Uh, but what does it get you? And where are they going and can they ever get to where they want to be with their current setup from ownership the way it is weirdly muddled to coaching? I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's a struggle for them. I do think that uh, and agree with you, they may end up winning a division, but they're not a playoff team. They're not one that's going to make a deep run, in my opinion. They've got a lot of things they have to fix. And I just don't know how the structure currently exists that's going to allow them to fix it. It's just you know, yeah. it's it's there's too many disconnects, too many hurdles in the way. But we've said that about Dallas the last what ten years? You know, actually, we yep. said longer than that. Longer than that. Yep, absolutely. So before we get to our picks, um, Randy, we both, of course, watched the Monday night games. I mean, I was excited to watch them. I, I think it was a couple of good uh, potential matchups. Certainly, a tough situation for the uh, Patriots traveling on game day. I don't really remember that happening. Traveling on game day. Uh, I was thinking of the old days of football when they probably came in on a train and and had a terrible, you know, had a terrible sleeping arrangements and made it work. But in the modern league, that doesn't usually happen. COVID testing, all this stuff. We had a game, you know, we had a game, uh, you know, postponed for Tennessee. Um, I thought Monday was the first time that it didn't, the football didn't look that good. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? I was like, golly, this is disappointing. 
especially in that second game when you saw the Falcons. Uh, they, they have been playing bad on defense. Nobody would argue that. But I saw effort waning there. I saw guys looking at each other, pointing fingers. I just saw some disinterest. And and that really came from, I don't think, uh, I think you're right. The game was different. It almost looked, and you mentioned it in our in our call uh, pre-show, pre, uh, it almost looked like a Pro Bowl. You know, nobody really tackling. The effort wasn't there. Uh, not everybody on the same page. I think one thing that, that is going to really affect what we see on TV this last half of the season or last, you know, three quarters of the season are that COVID is going to have an effect. We were worried about the quality of play early in the season because of no preseason games and limited training camps. We, we saw pretty good quality of play, but I agree with you. I think these next four or five weeks, we're going to have to really look close to see if that quality of play continues because you're right. Last night was a little indicator that not necessarily in the New England game and, and Kansas City game, but in that Atlanta Green Bay game, um, the COVID testing, the changes of schedules, the, the, the less practice time these players and teams get, I think it affected that game a little bit. And maybe it was just Atlanta. Maybe Atlanta's just bad. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. there's something to that. But it's it bears watching nonetheless. So we'll see. I think it's yeah. interesting that the COVID uh, obviously has been a topic since we started. But I know it's serious when the league starts talking about revamping the um, process and, and the COVID uh, proceedings to the point of taking draft picks. When they start talking about taking draft picks because a breach of of COVID protocol, that's when I know it's serious. So we'll see. And that comes from the Titans uh, situation that evolved last week. None of us want that to happen again. But when they start taking draft picks, that'll get these teams' attention. And and breaches in protocol, breaches in in COVID testing, that won't be that won't be stood for by the league. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the 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 COVID impact on Monday to me was obviously on the Patriots not having Cam Newton, on the Patriots yeah, having to travel on game day, going to play an opponent from a quality of play standpoint on Monday night. I thought the the only weird thing from the Kansas City game was that play when Tyreek Hill ran out of bounds instead of going up the field. But yeah. <laughs> they've got three games in five days or whatever it is. It's not. Five but again, days, that's but. COVID related. They're, they're that's having COVID to adjust. Related. Yeah, they're adjusting the way they're playing because of that. Because they're going to have to play three games in eleven days or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see how that all plays out. I, I am hopeful that what happened in Tennessee was a Tennessee issue. You know, I, I think we've seen these other teams have had one guy uh, test positive. Whether it was Atlanta with the corner, Kansas City had a backup quarterback, uh, New England had starting quarterback. But for most of these teams, the protocols are, seem to be working because we're not having 10 other people come down with it. Tennessee seems to be the one place why that happened. And I think that's why rightfully the league is investigating yep. with some skepticism. So uh, the threats, the draft picks, whatever, could be really important because if teams over the next 12 weeks get lax and aren't following the protocols, uh, this thing can all slide away w- along with millions of dollars really quickly. So, it was definitely a wake-up call, that's for sure, for everybody. Yep, yep. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Picks against the spread, Randy. We pushed it off as late as we could because we weren't undefeated. Um, Both of us, I can't believe this, that we both decided to take the Jets and the points. Um, (laughs) When I was watching the game, I was like, God, how how many points would be enough? But um, I just figured they would win the game. We underestimated how bad the Jets were. That's what it was for me. I took all the hurdles that Denver would have to cover and and cross over and just said, Denver can't do this. But I I shouldn't uh, have done that, obviously, because I thought – 
gosh, they can get all this and they have no chance. They got to go cross country. But I forgot how bad the Jets are and it showed. Would you blow up the Jets during the season? I'm just curious. Would I blow them up? Yeah. Would you blow up the Jets during the season or would you wait? Um, you know, that's a hard call. You're talking about, and we talked a little bit about this. You blow it up, but what are you left with? You know, you're still left really with a first time GM who's building a roster in his, in his first time. So do you you want Greg Williams to run it? Yeah. I don't know that that's any better. You know, I mean, you're going to have a lot of bluster and a lot of, uh, you know, beating of the chest and all that. I just don't know if that's what they need right now. The difference is the New York media and the attention that the Jets get makes it really hard to, even do anything. So yep. they almost have to blow it all up, which they've, they, yep. I doubt they're going to do that. And, and so I, or, yep. or just stay the course. So, so we, so we missed on the Jets, yep. uh, taking the points. And then I think I did take Minnesota in the points against Houston. You, you played contrary, took Houston. And, yep. and, and so not our best week last week on the picks. Uh, this week though, we're going to redeem ourselves. Uh, I, there's two games I want to talk about. One is Tampa at Chicago. And I believe it is Tampa. Is it still five and a half? Yep. Tampa's the favorite. Five, five, five and a half, depending where you look. Yeah, the other is Indian Cleveland. What do we got on Indian Cleveland? What do you got? The Colts are two and a half point favorite against Cleveland. All right. So what do you like? What do you think on the Tampa Bay game? It's at Chicago, but it doesn't really matter as much. I think Tampa's hit a little point in their in their season now where things are starting to come together. They're starting to gel on offense. Their defense has been good even the first two or three weeks of the year. And I see a, a team in Chicago that, I'll be honest, is a total fraud to me. I don't think they're that good. I don't think their offense, I don't think their, the quarterback matters. I think it's still Matt Nagy's offense. I haven't seen anything that puts any fear into me at all. Um, I, I Even though it's a road game on a Thursday night, which, you know, got – doesn't happen very often where the road team wins. I'm going to pick Tampa in the game and, and give the points to Chicago. I just I'm not buying Chicago at all. I, I am too, and I, I I feel like Tom Brady. This is our first you know real national game, right? For yep. for yep. Tom Brady uh, as far as a primetime game. So I'm with you on that. I, I I do see the gambling defense of of Todd Bowles and Tampa. That there could be some opportunities. Justin Herbert hit on some of those last week, yep. but. Um, I do think that we're going to see a pretty good effort. I think Tom Brady looked really good, um, especially the, as that game went on last week. They threw eight passes uh, in their game against the Chargers that traveled at least 20 yards past the line of scrimmage. That was the most in the league last week, completed four of them. I think all the four completions were in the second half. So I have some hope um, for them. As far as our other game, Indy is at Cleveland. This is a little bit. This is a little bit tougher because I'm not 100 percent sure what to make of how good Cleveland really is. Yep, I agree with that. I think I think it's the game of the week. I'll be honest with you, because of the matchups of where they're at and how they're doing things on offense, especially. Um, I'm with you. I'm not ready to jump on board. Uh, 100% with Cleveland. I'm going to go with the Colts in this game just because I think their defense is better than the Browns defense. And that maybe, uh, you know, makes the difference at the end of the day. I do, I do see a lower scoring game. I see a time of possession game, obviously with these two teams running the ball the way they want to, but uh, I'm going to have to pick the Colts in the road game and, and give the two and a half points to the Browns and and uh, just make Baker Mayfield prove it. You know, if we're playing horse, he made the last letter, and now he's got to prove it to put me out. Yep, I'm seeing both two and a half and three on that. I'll go with Cleveland on this one. I, I don't fully 100% trust Rivers yet and the Colts yet, so we'll be on opposite sides of that fence, but I think it's a hard one to pick, and it's really one of the few games this week where it's a really small point spread, so it, it's going to be a hard one. I don't feel overwhelmingly strong either way, but I kind of like what Cleveland's got going, and and I'll take some points and see how it goes. Because Indy, to me, is playing a close game style, right? Yep, I mean, no bo- both these teams are going to want to run the ball and outrun each other. And so maybe it com- maybe it becomes one of those games, uh, you know, where it's close, could go either way. And you might I might want to have those three points on my side. It's time for Ask the GM. Final segment, Randy, Ask the GM. We have a question from Josh. Given the state of the nation and world right now, boy, well, that's, a, that's a broad question, and the direct, indirect impact on sports, what should savvy GMs be thinking about to enhance their leadership skills along with their leadership team's toolkits? Wow, toolkits. That's a, 
I think it's a great question. I'm not sure I'm qualified to answer it, but <laughs> I'm going to give you my version of it anyway. Um, obviously, in our in our times, the current status of the world, uh, leaders of big companies, leaders of, in this case, franchises of teams, which really are leaders in cities, have to be cognizant of what's going on. I think in a normal world, you run your team, you kind of get in your cave and you make statements and things that really just affect the, you know, 53 guys in this locker room. And I think Nowadays, with the way we are set up, you at least have to be cognizant of what's going on in the real world. And sometimes that can be a burden. I mean, in this case, uh, it seems like something changes every day, whether it's with our president or politically or, or the social justice movement. You have to be aware of all this stuff. So you really have to pick and choose what you say as a leader of one of these franchises. And, and I think that, that means the coach. That means the GM. It definitely means the quarterback. Um, your leaders and your voices in in the in in the cities nowadays have to be cognizant of that. And that's not earth shattering what I'm saying, but I do think it's it's prevalent now to where uh, the leaders are looked at differently. You have to find a way to not only communicate with your team and your building, but really everybody else uh, in your city when you're. When you're in front of a microphone, you just have to be really cognizant of it. I, I think, I, and I mentioned this to you just quickly in, in that when when it was said that teams were going to have fans in the stands this year, I, I, I remember Sean uh, McDermott in Buffalo coming out and making a you know loud statement against it's not fair, blah blah blah. You know what? That that answer to that question really is an example of it's beyond. It's bigger than that. You know, we needed fans in stadiums. The country needed to have some fans in stadiums. It really doesn't give any competitive advantage here or there, to be honest with you. We're seeing that road teams are just as effective. So that was a statement made off the cuff that in a normal year you wouldn't even bat an eye at. Uh, I just think you've got to be careful. You've got to answer questions now with some other things uh, prevalent in the back of your mind. So I think it's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. And I think back in the day, coaches could be in their own little tunnel and whatever they said, they they were sort of autocratic. They could say whatever they want. That's the way it was. Now, when Vic Fangio is asked a question about minority hiring or whatever, he has to know about it. He can't just say – Oh, there's no problem. It's a meritocracy. And, yeah. and you, know, you know what I mean? You're going to be held yeah. accountable to what you say now. No you doubt. can't just throw stuff out there when you don't know what you're talking about. And so it, that makes it a more, um, you know, a bigger job. I think yep. it is a bigger job. So you need a strategy from the GM. You need a strategy from your public relations people um, to make sure that you're educated on things so that no you doubt. can talk about them. It's not just about the nickel package on third down. <laughs> so, um, wow. What a show. We packed it all in there. We'll do it again next week. Randy. Um, yep. Um, Thanks, Mike. Thanks to our listeners. Can't wait to do it again. And uh, we're making our way through a season. Time's flying. Yep. For Randy Mueller, at Randy Mueller underscore, I'm Mike Sando, at Sando NFL. We'll see you next week. <laughs>